Um, I'm Andy, if you don't know, one of the elders here at uh, Christ First, uh, Christ First Online, as it were, at the moment. Um, at, last time I sort of re- returned to my past, if you remember when I spoke to us as a church, uh, and um, I'm going to do that again. Uh, I need to make a bit of a confession uh, to you. Uh, it may shock you uh, when I tell you uh, how this all came about. Um, and it's taken a bit of boldness and prayer and a, a bit of Red Bull this morning, as it were. Um, but we're friends, right? We are friends. And uh, I should be able to, to share stuff with you guys. And hopefully you won't think any less of me as your friend, your brother, and your pastor when I share this. Please do not log off or run out the room screaming no when I share this. But, but I, I like take that. I know. I like take that. Okay, Hannah and John have actually left uh, the room, by the way. It was nothing to do with me sharing. Take that, actually. They needed to leave. But, but, but um, let me at least give me the time to explain um, what it is. Um, no one can deny that Gary Barlow is a prolific songwriter. Uh, and okay, I have to admit, he crafts some pretty clever pop songs. But pop songs is not my musical taste, as you probably can remember from last time. It's not my genre, as it were, as neither is country, by the way, in case you uh, weren't aware of that. Um, so how is it that I confess to, to liking Take That? Well, um, let me take you back to, in fact, let me show you. Let me take you back to uh, July. Oh, hello. Uh, there we go. July uh, 20, 2009. Um, Jane was a big fan of Take That, my wife, that is. Um, and the music was on a lot at home, which means both our kids kind of liked it. And we managed to get tickets uh, as a family to go uh, to see them during the circus tour at Wembley. Um, Wembley Stadium, in fact. They made a massive comeback at the time. They'd uh, released a song called Patience, and they become very popular again, probably more popular than they ever were. And there's this massive comeback, and they fill Wembley Stadium for four whole days. Um, and we were as far back as you can see the crowd, yeah? And, and if you look at the picture down on the bottom left, I think it would be for you, where they're on the stage, the very, very back, at the very, very top, so if you look at that, the very back at the very top, the furthest away, because the stage was at one end of the stadium, the furthest back row of seats against that sort of light area, which is the open air, that's where we were sat. Our backs were to the back wall of Wembley Stadium. And there they were as far away as they could possibly be. But I'm not kidding you, it was brilliantly staged. It was an incredible concert. The sound was superb. I'm a sound producer and engineer, so I love that. The visuals were large scale, including the famous, if you're aware of it, animatronic elephant. That elephant there, there are people stood on top. That moved and walked around the crowd, and people were in it, moving parts of it. It was brilliant. It was more like Cirque du Soleil, if you know what that is, than it was a concert. But it changed my view of what they were like as entertainers as I experienced this moment of like, this is just so good. The best concert I've ever witnessed. And if I want to carry on with the confessions, the second best concert I ever witnessed was take that again during the progress tour. We went again and we saw them do the one with the massive robot. Incredible staging. I told lots of people about it. I said, look, I know it's take that. But it was so good because I needed to let people know about it. You know, you and I can tell stories of things that were good, right? We can, we can explain things really well when we were the first-hand witnesses to them. You know, think now of a situation that you think of that 
you would want to tell people about an experience that you had. Think about that now. Just take a moment. Better than a pop band, I bet you're thinking of perhaps birth of a child, whether it's your child, a grandchild, a nephew, a, a niece. That will come to mind. What is it that we want to do here? We want to. There's something in us when these moments come about that make us want to share this news boldly and, and to many people. We want ourselves to participate in the joy of people's news. And, um, you know, what is it that feeds our desire? What is it in us that wants to share good news and wants to tell others about it? Why do we want to send congratulatory pieces of paper folded in half, we'll call them a card, to people to show that we are sharing in their joy of this moment that they're having? What is it in us that, that kind of wants to do that? There's something going on. We want to participate in the joy. We want to be part of that moment together. We want to let people know, listen, I'd love to hear your news and let me tell you it was great news. We want to celebrate good news together in family, in community. That's something that somehow God has placed within us because it's not really explicable. Cards, I don't know, cards are very expensive, aren't they? They seem to have gone up inflation-wise, like well ahead of inflation. They're so expensive to buy cards to send to people to celebrate with them a piece of their joy. And yet, let's be honest with ourselves, me to you and you to me, when it comes to sharing the good news, the good news, our encounters with Jesus, as we explored last week through Aaron, did a great sermon on sort of immediate encounter, immediate relationship, immediate encounters with Jesus, when something happens immediately, and those things that happen gradually over time. What is it about sharing that? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we can often hit a roadblock there. It's not like that other news that we seem to be so easily ready to share and participate. And I think some of us have been tricked into something about the way we think about Christian evangelism. That sharing good news is something like forcing yourself to tell people forcing it out of us. You know, I've got to say something about this. I've been told I have to. So I'm going to force this good news out of me. Strange when you think about it. But rather than sort of sharing that joy of encountering Jesus, we feel nervous about it. And there's reasons for that. And the role of this series and what we're doing through this short series is to help us to talk more about the love we have because we're very capable of sharing moments of joy and love and we love Jesus, don't we? I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? If we love Jesus, then we're just sharing about someone we love. So, I don't know if you know about that, this, but this is the crest of our town of Watford. Um, and if you look at the words beneath it, in the small one, you'll see the word um, Audentio. That was what used to be below the crest of Watford Town. Not the football team, the, the, the council and the borough, Watford Town. This is what it said, Audentior, which actually means to uh, be bold, to have courage. Um, that's what the word, or daring even, that's sort of the best translation. And then recently they decided um, to, to actually just put the words be bold on there. Let's just say what it is um, without anyone needing to, to know a bit of Latin. Um, why, is, why is that important? Why has that now become the motto of our town? Why? Because why do we need to be bold? What's the, what's the reason for boldness? 
Well, put it simply, boldness is about overcoming fear. It's about overcoming something that restricts us, that stops us from moving forward. Something stands in our way, and we need boldness to get past it. When we want to do something we know we should do, something gets in our way and says, don't do that. Today's going to be about boldness in the context of our sharing experiences with Christ. But this is a general thing for life too, that perhaps when you're praying, you can be praying about, as I have done many times, boldness at work, to just do your job sometimes, to stand up in front of people and speak. These things are things that can be given to you for not just sharing the gospel, but in life in general. Boldness is the antidote to fear. That, it's the silencer of that voice that says, you're going to look foolish. You're going to look foolish. You'll get it wrong if you try and say this thing. You will probably upset people if you say this thing. Or, perhaps for many of us, you don't know enough to be able to start the conversation and talk about this thing. If boldness is vital and it's lacking in us as a natural resource, what is it that we can do and where can we get it from? That's an important question for us to consider today. And let me read to us then from Acts, some of Acts 4. I want to set the scene. Peter and John, the apostles, have been hauled before the Sanhedrin, which is a, a, the easiest way to describe it, is a council of leaders. So the council of leaders, of, of authority. Because the reason they've been hauled up is because they're getting attention because they've been performing healing and telling people about Jesus. Um, and healing people in Jesus' name. So they're they're hauled before this council that don't want them doing this. And I'm going to read from uh, verse 8, from uh, Acts 4, verses 8 through to, to number 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In a, in a paragraph, Peter lays out to a Jewish council of authority with boldness. This is the deal. Jesus is the only way. He is the Savior. He's the one that's been sent to save us. And you have crucified him. But he's still with us. His power is present. The power of God is present. And that's who we're doing this in the name of. He's not preaching a complex message there. He's not actually trying to wrestle with a tricky argument. He just wants to make a point. What he's doing is he's telling them what he witnessed. And you think, no big deal, eh? He's just sharing what he witnessed. Well, yes, it actually is a pretty big deal. Because Peter John and Peter and others, but Peter in particular, this is not a natural-born speaker. Peter is a fisherman. He will likely have never spoken publicly before and certainly can't see any situation where he would have been in front of people of this level of authority, a Jewish council, 
and speak to them in this way, you can read in it, he's speaking with conviction and clarity and boldness. Tomorrow, by the way, just so you know, I've got a meeting with Watford Council, by some strange coincidence, to talk about something that I've been involved in for about six months, to try and help the town regenerate after COVID. I've been asked to help get involved in something with some other Christians and church leaders. I'm going to meet the CEO or the MD of Watford Borough Council tomorrow. I've met the mayor and spoken to him about it. I'm a little nervous. Not because I don't know what I'm talking about. I've been studying and trying to get something together as a proposal for many months. But I am a little nervous about it. Maybe not even a little, quite nervous. Because I want to make sure that when I come to this moment, I can speak with clarity and deal with the questions that they're going to ask. But the strange thing you need to know is I have spoken hundreds. I've lost the count of times I've been in meetings with senior people from senior organizations. That's part of my role. I've lost the count of the number of times I've trained very senior leaders of major corporations. I used to travel the world pre-COVID and do that all the time. I lost count of the number of times I've stood in front of you as a physical church, and it's, it's interesting, all I've got is Alex in the corner at the moment, but, but a physical church with 120, 130 people in front of me, and yet tomorrow, I'm a little nervous. I need something, I need some boldness. I need some courage. Here's a fisherman, a fisherman. I'm a, I'm a speaker by business, I'm a trainer by trade. He's a fisherman. And if you look at what he's saying as he lays these facts out, after verse 13, we get that reality check. We get it kind of laid out for us because the reaction of the Sanhedrin is this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Uneducated Men, boldly sharing their experiences about Jesus, had an impact on these people. Now, how is that possible? I think you know the answer, but we need to remind ourselves today. Church, if you're a a long-standing Christian, we're going to have to remind ourselves today where this is coming from. The answer sits in Acts 1 and 2, in particular. Um, But you also see it in that first line I read from that that, uh, Acts 4, um, 8, that actual line says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That's what I read out, verse 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then he gives them that incredible paragraph with clarity and boldness. What I want you to know today, brothers and sisters, me too, is this was no minor helping hand. This was no nudge in the right direction. Peter is a fisherman. He's a fisherman. He won't have this, and, and you, you, we'll talk a little bit later about when he does a similar thing in Acts 2 to a huge crowd. This won't be in his kind of repertoire of skills. This isn't a nudge, Peter, let me give you a little hand with some of the words you're saying. This is an act of the Spirit giving Peter boldness and clarity the moment he needed it. He's not building on his skill set. He's saying, you need, I need boldness. I need courage, and it's given to him in multiple moments this being one of them. This is a full-blown act of the Spirit that transformed because that's what happens when we encounter the Spirit. We are transformed. In this case, the, it, the public speaking skill set of an uneducated fisherman, i.e. had none, turns into the public speaking uh, skill set of a lawyer 
And I think that's probably a good comparison to make. I love a courtroom drama. Think of a courtroom drama. In a courtroom drama, the lawyer has to know all the facts. In fact, they're tripped up many times if they don't. They're in possessions of all the facts. They know the details. And I think sometimes we can think that's the same. If I'm going to share about Jesus, I need to, I need to have all the facts. We think that we fear we're not in possession of all those facts. So we end up fearing that we can't represent Jesus like a lawyer would. How can we answer some tough counter-argument or defend him? How can we create a case to defend him? But we're not called to defend Jesus. He can look after himself, trust me. We're not called to defend Jesus. He doesn't need defending. We are called to be witnesses. And as any good witness in any court case would be, they can only share what they have witnessed. I think that really spoke to me as I was thinking about and preparing for this. Only speak of what you have witnessed. And your witness, like in a court case, and I don't want to go too far with this analogy, is part of a story that needs to be built. It's a perspective that is unique to you and me. We are to be good witnesses because good witnesses only share the part of the story they know. A bad witness would be someone who shares something that they might have heard or they think they might have perceived. But a good witness says, no, 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 this is what I saw. This is what's happened to me. Sharing about Jesus is not to be reserved for the evangelist or the professional, the lawyers and the solicitors, if you like. This here, if I put it up on the screen, is a picture. Let's just see if we can get that. Oh, I'm not moving on. Just click on the screen for me, Alex, maybe. There we go, there we go. That's a picture there of uh, Billy Graham. Now, um, probably the world's best-known evangelist, Billy Graham, um, American guy. Um, you've got some of the statistics there on the screen, but, but it says there, he, he spoke in his lifetime to more than 215 million people, over 185 countries. And in the summer of 1989, and he came previously as well, I think it was in the 50s, but in 1989, um, he came and spoke at Wembley. In fact, if you look at the picture there close enough, uh, the stadium around him is full, uh, and it's raining because uh, uh, it chucked it down in the middle of the summer. Good old British summer. But there are 73,000 people there um, in the summer of 1989. Somewhere in that crowd is me. Um, he was clearly an anointed man of God, um, but my newly converted mum, who'd been converted recently to this event, like strong-armed me, taught me into coming along. And I think she clearly thought this was going to be the day. I would hear Billy and I would meet Jesus. I'm not, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian family. My mum had become a Christian later in life. She thought this was the moment. Get, get, you know, and you know how the thought process goes. Get him to Billy Graham, and Billy Graham will do the work. So there I am in the stadium with 73,000 other people. And Billy speaks. And, you know, I'm kind of interested. I'm listening anyway, at least. And he comes to the moment when, when even in the rain, I think the rain stopped, if I remember rightly. It's one of those things you think, well, now. But I'm pretty sure the rain stopped. And he said, come forward if you want to receive Jesus Christ, come forward if you want to know more about what I've spoken about. You want to receive your Savior. And at that moment, I could feel my mum's prayers and <laughs> her anxiety, as it were, like almost warming up my shoulder as she stood next to me. 
Many went forward, thousands, I think, but not me. Because, honestly, nothing happened. I mean, I was interested, I was fascinated. So many people would gather to hear a man speak, but nothing happened to make me want to go forward in that moment. So no desire to respond at that moment. What's ironic is a few years later, the evangelist that, called, that helped me move forward was my mum in church, speaking to me, and Terry McGovern, who was part of the church at the time. Those were the ones that introduced me to Jesus in such a way, I couldn't say that what they said. I couldn't say what it was. I think Billy Graham probably had better words at the time, if you think about an evangelistic speech. But, but whatever my mom and Terry were doing, something happened in me, and the, the things that they said just seemed to reach me in a way that I can't explain, because I, I can't tell you the words that they said. But something was going on, which I now believe was the Spirit calling me to Jesus at that moment. So clearly anointed and hallelujah and praise God for them for people like Billy Graham to quote from a book called The, the Words Out by Malin Weston. It says this, evangelism is not a specialized activity for just a few experts, but is for everyone as they live out their everyday life empowered by the risen Jesus. In Acts 2, Peter speaks to this huge crowd, if you know that story, after just being baptized the first time the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they get that first filling, um, they are filled, the Holy Spirit enters in and out he goes and he speaks to this crowd. Jesus promised this to them. He said, this is going to happen. My Father will send and then you will do these things. So he'd actually told the disciples, um, actually don't do anything. Don't do anything until this happens. Don't just wait so let me read to you, actually, from Acts 1, it's 4 to 5, and verse 8. While he was eating with them, this is Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Later it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and basically the whole planet. There's two critical words in that first part, the principle of waiting and receiving. So wait, receive, and then step out into this. Um, and shortly we're going to pray for, for those that need to receive, whether it be for the first time or for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said, wait and make sure you receive and then Go ahead. We want to witness about our encounters with Jesus. I hope we do. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not just about sharing the gospel with strangers. Don't think that that's all this is about. In fact, it can be about just building the faith of this church community by sharing our stories together, by hearing about what Jesus has been doing in your and my life. But we're a little nervous of even doing that in small group. We don't want to come off mute on Zoom. We feel a little bit anxious about that. And... On, on our group this week, there was some sharing of people's gospel stories about Jesus' impact on their life. We were all like, wow, that's so great to hear. So, but some of us are a little nervous in that setting, and that's fine. The boldness of the Holy Spirit could help you do it there, and then you can get more confident and perhaps stretch out into other people. But some of us need boldness just to tell our stories with one another, never mind sharing them outside of the church family. So I want to remind us, 
that in Acts 2, Peter addressed the crowd, but before he addressed them, it says they were together. And what do you think they were doing? I, 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 I would say they were praying, okay? They're in an upper room, and they are, I want to wager, shouldn't bet, but you know. They're praying, and that promise of Jesus comes, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says the room, if you read that, that scripture, it says the room shook. And then they began to speak in tongues and witness. And then Peter goes out and he tells a whole crowd of people about Christ. And it says many were saved that day. And at the end of Acts 4, the thing we're reading about in front of the Sanhedrin, the same general thing happens. And Peter and John are sharing what happened with the church, their church family at that moment. And it says this, and they prayed, the church were praying The place where they were meeting was shaken again and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's critical. This is the early church. This is the church that has apostles and they are praying and the Spirit comes upon them and now they can speak with boldness, which means something has changed. It wasn't like that before. Now the Spirit's come and now they can. Several of them would have met Jesus. Several of them would have seen Jesus. And yet this group of people need something else to be able to proclaim boldly. They need the help of the Spirit to witness. So praying for the Holy Spirit to help us share encounters of Jesus should be a standard, regular thing. Like I said before, I'm a very experienced trainer. I've done this hundreds of times Prior to lockdown, I was probably out of the country every other week, somewhere in the world, getting ready to spend two or three days with this leadership team, teaching them and talking to them about the sort of stuff I was training in. I would pray every morning, usually like 7 a.m. or whatever before. I would, it was just a thing. I would put a worship song on, and I would pray before I went downstairs to the, wherever I was, training room or some hotel room or something that I was training them in. I would, train, I would pray about my training to make sure that I say, give me the boldness to do this. Help me with my words. The point is, that's training. Okay, it was, it's my livelihood, but it's of no great eternal consequence. It's just training. And yet I was praying for that. So how important is it for me to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me to share the really important news? If I'm worried about my training and I'm praying for that, shouldn't I be praying fervently for opportunities to share the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is no other name by which we can be saved. There's no other solution to resolve the distance between me and God, between you and me and God. There is no other way. God is a holy God. And in order to be in relationship with a holy God who is perfect, we can't approach him imperfectly. We can't approach him with sin in our life. It just doesn't work. It's not possible. It isn't compatible we all know it. We know that things that are done wrong should be punished, and we've done wrong. So how do we get into the presence of this holy God who really can see everything we've done with confidence? How do we get close to him when we've done things that we know we shouldn't have and that him being an all-seeing God would know? We should receive punishment, but instead we receive amazing grace. God says, I will make a way for you to deal with that. I'm going to offer you an exchange. My son Jesus, the only person who never sinned, is going to offer to stand in front of you, in your place. He's going to take your sin and the sin of everyone on his shoulders. And that's so severe, 
that he has to die to pay the price. It's that extreme. He will die on the cross, and in that dying on the cross, he's going to offer an exchange. Believe this, I've done it. Take me as your savior. I have done it, and I'll exchange my life for yours. You're set free, I'll pay the price. And that's what happened to me, and most of you, yeah? He exchanged his righteousness for our sin, and we became righteous because of Jesus. He put us right with God. And you and I, you and I, are unique witnesses to our experiences of that and many things that God has done in the years that will have followed. You're the only witness worth hearing the story from. I'm the only witness worth telling my story. No one else can tell it like I can because it's my witness to what he's done. I hope that you want to help in being bold in sharing your experiences, your encounters with Jesus, sharing that he saved you, sharing that God has blessed you in various different ways, not on social media. I use it, but it's not what we're looking for boldness for. It takes very little boldness to put things on social media. I'm sure you're aware. You can and you should put things on social media. I'm not saying don't, but that's not what we're looking for the boldness for, are we? We're looking for the boldness to share with someone. Let's be real. That's what we're looking for. We should want to share about the one we love. And we love Jesus, right? I love Jesus. You love Jesus. We should want to be able to share this incredible news about him. That boldness we need is available. The Holy Spirit gave it to Peter, to John, to Paul, to others, to King David. It's available to you and me. I think it's important to say at this point, just as we start to get towards the end, Peter was not filled with a bit of a buzz. He didn't like suddenly, woo, I'm feeling, woo. And that now I feel like I can go out and say something I wasn't going to say. That wasn't what happened. He was changed. He was guided by the Holy Spirit. I think we can become confused as an evangelical charismatic church, believing that spiritual experiences are like buzzes that... I just feel my hairs on the back of my neck go up, and that's, that's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to say that isn't the Spirit at work, but being filled with the Holy Spirit, I can get that buzz at a music concert. Matt Nell, in his book, uh, when he wrote about this, was talking about, I can get that same sort of feeling at a rugby match or a football match. That's true. You know it, yeah? You've had that moment where a song's being sung, and it could be, I don't know, Celine Dion, or take that. <laughs> Maybe not. But there's some reaction. That's your spirit responding to something. But being filled with the Holy Spirit is about transformational moments of change that occurs, and it occurs for purpose. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is for purpose. The ability to share. The words Peter said to the crowd and to the Sanhedrin were not pre-rehearsed speeches. They came in the moment from the Spirit, who gave him the boldness to speak and then helped with the words, guided him, taught him with the words to say in that moment. Just imagine, just imagine how Peter felt after that. When he spoke to the crowd, for example, and the, it says many came to Christ. Imagine how he felt after thinking, what just happened? I'm a fisherman. Like, I, I, I don't know if out-of-body experience might be a bit sacrilegious, but something happened where Peter was not behaving like Peter. 
Because his encounter with the Holy Spirit, his filling, meant he was changed, transformed, and he did something he could not do in the natural. I want a slice of that action. I don't know about you, but I want a slice of that that says, yes, that's why when, I was, when we were praying this morning before I preached, I'm saying, please, God, make this something that I cannot do by just standing here and talking. Because I'm okay at that, but I want something else to happen that is transformative, that is different by the Holy Spirit. And it always feels the same when I get up here to speak. There's something, you know, when the Spirit was, you can know this is not really what I had prepared. What I had prepared was this, and now you're saying something else. But even that isn't important. What's important is that no matter what the words are coming out of my mouth, the Spirit is doing something in you as you're listening to hear something afresh, to, to wake up to some things, to realize some things. Whether you don't know Jesus and you're learning about him for the first time today, or you do know Jesus, but your relationship has come a bit distant. I pray that something today is drawing you back closer to him, and it's not my words. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in you and in me. So we want to make an offer today. I want to make an offer to you. If you want to know more about that exchange, if you want to know more about the great exchange that Jesus offers his life for yours, that God will take away your sin and bring you into relationship with him. If you want to know more about that, because you're listening online this morning, all you need to do is type two letters into the chat. You can type it to Christ first, or you can type it to everyone. We don't mind. Christ first will be private. Only Alex will see it. Everyone, everyone will see it. Just type two letters, sorry, me. Just me. So anytime you type me into that chat box, someone will take you into a, a, a room, one of the leaders of the church, and just talk to you. We're not going to put you under pressure for anything, but, but I hope you've been prompted this morning to find out more. And that I pray by the Holy Spirit you'd have the boldness, the, the bit of boldness that happens to happen today to say, okay, all right, that's me. And like I say, we'll talk to you, we'll just explore things with you, we'll take you where you want to go with things, we're not going to press you, but we want to talk to you more about the exchange that Jesus Christ offers. For everyone else, like I would have said in a good old physical church meeting, if we were together now as a big group, if we were together, I would have said, stand up if you want to receive a fresh filling or a new filling, a first filling of the Holy Spirit so you can go forward with boldness and, and other gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're just touching on one particular thing today. I would have said stand up, and I know what happens. There'd be a, there would be like five seconds of silence. We all know this, right? You remember five seconds of silence? Or maybe someone would just stand up straight away, and then there'd be like a Mexican wave of ripple, I would say. One or two stand up, and then lots of people. And then eventually, a lot of us have stood up. Because we know, we know we need this, right? We know, I know I would respond if I was out there. We need to stand up and say, yes. In that tiny act of boldness, I'm standing up in front of a bunch of people, but I want to receive this. You mostly stand. Standing in itself is an act of courage for many of us to actively respond. And it's also a step of humility, I think. Paul once said this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. If Peter, John, Paul, um, I was going to say the Beatles, I'm so sorry it came into my head there. Um, <laughs> King David, guys, if these people needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to speak like Paul just said, not me, but by the work of the Spirit, if they needed it, what is it that says to us, look, I'm, I'm cool, I'm good, it's all right, I'm, I'm fine. No, so I know that what would happen. I'd say, everyone stand, and if I got a convincing message, you would stand together. Well, we can't stand together today. But I want to encourage you to have a moment of courage. 
and it's just typing two words in a chat window. But I know what it means. Oh, I'm not sure today. Mm. So what Peter, John, King David, Paul, and many others in the Bible needed to be able to share the good news with boldness. What they needed is an offer. And it says, and I've repeated it many times, they prayed before these things happened. They prayed, it says about the church, they prayed together and they were filled and they had boldness to speak the word of God boldly. You just have to type prayer male or prayer female. That's it. That's your act of boldness, the beginning of boldness, to then be prayed for. I, I could pray here now, but I, I want you to, I could do it and it'll be easy. You just sit there and be prayed over. But I want to ask you to step forward for prayer this morning to put prayer male or prayer female or as it pops up on the screen if you haven't managed to do that in a minute you can choose one of those rooms but best to type so Alex knows who to put where and go into one of these prayer rooms and our wonderful lovely prayer team and there's some great people in there as always will pray for you because people will experience the Holy Spirit in far-flung places and not at church and you're at home and we're together the Holy Spirit can reach down right into your home right now and either fill you for the first time which we'll call baptism of the Holy Spirit or fill you again just like these guys needed don't miss out on the opportunity to receive prayer today please and if one of you has to look after the kids while one gets pr- goes and gets prayed for do that do that and then they won't mind if you come halfway through and swap over and pop up in another prayer room I'm sure Alex can handle that we can put you then in another prayer room if someone else asks to move we'll handle that side of things but don't miss the opportunity to be prayed for today I do ask of you you won't miss out on socialising this room will stay open for at least half an hour after the meeting and people will be in here chatting and once you've finished in the prayer room come back and if others are here you can chat but today I just think it's so important that we respond with some courage and some boldness and say prayer male prayer female and if you want to know more about Jesus Christ and what we talked about this change you just type me and we'll take you into one of those rooms bless you guys I pray that the spirit has worked this morning through what I've shared but ultimately through what he wanted to do and the father has been glorified amen